You're listening to I'll Have What She's Podcasting, a film and pop culture podcast hosted by Louise Oliver and Jackie Farmer, two tired feminist millennials giving you opinions you didn't ask for about the content they love. Okie dokie. So what are we talking about this week, Jackie Farmer? Today, Louise Oliver, we are talking about the 1995 classic high school movie, Clueless. (laughs) I'm excited. I'm very excited. I was looking forward to this one immensely. It did not disappoint. In fact, I'm sure you can see from our master document that my notes are kind of are limited because I just got so into watching it that I was like remiss in yeah. keeping good notes. <laughs> yeah, your, your notes are limited and also like very fangirly, which is great. That's what we're all about. Yeah, absolutely. Looking at my notes now, I forgot that I wrote, I am so excited in all caps. <laughs> so shares in voiceover, she comes in and she's like, I actually have a way normal life for a teenage girl and then we smash into fashion by David Bowie and, uh, I remember when I first saw this thinking this like computer system wardrobe thing that Cher has was the best thing yeah. I'd ever seen well Louise Oliver have I got an app for you there's oh. an app that is not sponsoring us by the way uh, that I found called Wearing it's called it's spelled like W-H-E-R-I-N-G and I will link to it on the socials Maybe oh. give us- I have downloaded it I have not yet used it but basically what you do is you take pictures of your clothes and it sorts them for you and then you can use that to make yourself outfits oh my god yeah (laughs) so it doesn't and actually sells itself as like that version of that computer programming clueless it doesn't say like oh yeah that's a match it, it just lets you oh that's see, like, so what exciting tops look like with shoes and if things are the same kind of yellow and stuff oh that is no. incredible i am extremely excited about this i want these people to sponsor us because i'll probably never shut up about it now that i know about it <laughs> <laughs> and it should help me actually make use of all of those uh lockdown purchases i've made that i really didn't yes. need to make but <laughs> all of our midnight tipsy purchases yes that we all have <laughs> That is very exciting news for me um, because I love this thing and I love how it's so, it's like a big PC unit she's got, like it's huge. (laughs) What's uh, it called? It's got a funny name, doesn't it? It's called like the, I want to call it the Fashion 2000, but it won't be. It's something like that though, isn't it? So we get the picture of Cher, we get sort of all this sort of key information right off the top that she lives Mm -hmm. with her dad and her dad's a litigator and everyone's scared of him and Lucy the maid is part of their lives and that Cher has a particular, quite a sweet dynamic with her dad actually, she's a very lovely sort of yeah I get the impression that they're they're close and she's like looking after him making sure he drinks his juice and presumably she's just sort of mitigating against him having a heart attack that's that's the energy I got yeah he is an attentive father he does pay attention to her report card he thinks she's the most beautiful girl in the world he's very sweet to her and he also is still having some sort of fatherly relationship with Josh even though he's not been a stepfather for five years Mm -hmm. yeah he like I think it's an interesting set like the way he's written is quite interesting because the, the script and the summary and everything that you find online it refers to him as gruff and this that and next thing and he's scary mm-hmm. and in a way he is but he's also not he's also not that scary he's yeah. actually quite despite the fact that he's a very hard-working litigator he seems like you say connected to his family I mean you've got in your notes here you divorce wives not children <laughs> yes yeah. That is a good line. Because that's what he says. Again, this is dotting about, but there's so many hints throughout when Josh talks about his home life that is really unhappy, like he doesn't want to talk to his mum. 
because his current stepfather uh, just criticizes him. And then also at the very end, when he and Cher are having that staircase conversation, he says that Mel's the only person who cares about him. He does. So say Josh that, has yeah. actually some stuff. Yeah. And there's something really nice that he wasn't really married to Josh's mum for very long, but they obviously built up a bond and Mel has continued to honour that yeah. in a way that Josh actually relies on him and that he's like, no, come and do some work experience so that that can go on your law school applications. And that is very nice. Anyway, so then we meet Dion, yes. Cher's best friend, who they're mm-hmm. friends because they're both named after icons who now do infomercials. And they both have people to be jealous of them. Yes, I have a problem with the icons who now do infomercials line because I feel mm-hmm. like, ladies, wash your mouth out with soap. Cher and Dion mm-hmm. Warwick are not reduced to just doing infomercials. If only they knew that in 2021 they would be both reigning queens of Twitter. I know. <laughs> I know. I just that that line has not aged well, considering no. just how spectacular both uh, Cher and Dion are. I have made a note where. I said on the subject of um, the grades, I did make a note that when she talks about the teachers are trying to lowball me, I figured these grades are just a jumping off point to begin negotiations. <laughs> I felt like that was the whitest thing I'd ever heard, just in terms of like a place of like privilege and like, oh, no, 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 I that's yeah. not that's not going to happen. That's not that doesn't suit the brand that doesn't fit with my expectation of my needs and my entitlement so I'm going to be arguing my way out of this yes <laughs> absolutely yeah because that's when we get to the school and she gives her speech about Haiti uh, her very famous speech about Haiti yes which is a great speech it was covered I read this article called Clueless in the neo-colonial world order by a <laughs> professor Gail Wald and it really pulls apart that speech it's basically like the speech is good everybody likes it it shows us that Cher is a nice person it shows us that she's a funny person it also reminds us of what good care she takes for dad but it also kind of reminds us that she doesn't really know what she's talking about yeah so lest we forget there is a reason she gets a c plus in that class as yes. a jumping off point indeed yeah it is a great speech that it does not say rsvp on the statue of liberty is that's genius that chef's kiss writing yeah. Um. Th- I have a fun fact for you. I don't know. If oh. You may. You maybe know this. No. Sorry. I'm like sneaking in on your sneaking in on your territory. When Cher says the Haitians instead of the Haitians, that was Alicia Silverstone mispronouncing it. It wasn't in the direction or the intention. And Amy Herkeling loved it so much that she kept it in because it was just it was just a a, a beautiful bit of synchronicity between the actor and the character. You know, um, it is perfect. It suits that speech so much, and it's just absolutely perfect for the character because she says it so confidently. Yeah. And so many times. Yeah, it's great. And then Amber... Amber's there next to her I always feel like uh, I don't know oddly bad for Amber like I feel like Amber's yeah. there to be an antagonist in some very small way but actually she's never really in my head going into this I sort of remembered Amber having more screen time but actually she doesn't she, she's just sort of there to look ridiculous no she doesn't she's almost like she's painted as like your poor man Cher like yeah. she's just she's everything Cher is but just like not quite as good at it like mm-hmm. she wears the dress slightly after Cher does like she's Elton's second choice yeah and so she's just kind of like that like if she was in Buffy she'd be Harmony not Cordelia yeah I feel like as well like I had it in my head that she was like a super bitch 
or something like she was the super bitchy nasty girl of that class dynamic but actually she doesn't really stand out for that either she has her like whatever and her like eye rolls but she doesn't like she kind of calls Cher out on like what she just did isn't that great yeah (laughs) I also liked just after the debate part there's like this thing where like Elton constantly wants to get out of class for like whatever nonsense Mm -hmm. and it's one of the things that makes me first really like Mr Hall apart from the fact that I just know that I love him is that he doesn't take Elton's shit about the cranberry CD yeah so Elton says, I need to go to the quad and get my cranberry CD before somebody snags it. And I hope somebody does snag his cranberry CD. Mm-hmm. Um, although I don't think they do because he's listening to it later. Um, but then when Travis makes the point about he should be nicer to his mum because his kids are going to feel the way about Nine Inch Nails that he feels about the Rolling Stones, Mr. Hall like tries to find the, the point in it. He's like, I appreciate your point about tolerance in this society. And I just really liked that it makes it quite clear that Mr. Hall knows who the dicks are in the class yeah. yeah 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 I generally love the way well Sean plays Mr Hall because there's like a he has this great relationship with with his students in the sense that he's sort of wryly amused and bewildered by them all but also mm. doesn't really take any of their crap yeah um and it's, it's, it's very it's very fun to watch. I had a little note there about Cato reference. There's a point in the house when Cher and Josh are talking about something and she's basically just pissed off that he's there all the time and she calls him Cato. She's basically saying, like, you don't live here anymore. Why are you here all the time? It was, he basically says something that's equivalent to Mel's earlier line about you divorce wives, not children. Mm. Like, just because our parents aren't married doesn't mean I can't hang out here. And, she's, and she says, actually, Cato, that's exactly what it means. And um, I was like, what is that? What is, who's Cato? And I looked up and Cato is a reference to Cato Kalin, who was a witness in the O.J. Simpson trial, who was famous because he was like friends with O.J. and Nicole Brown when they were married. He was like mostly friends with O.J. and O.J. would give him money and like he was a freeloader, basically. He was a famous freeloader. And when OJ and Nicole were separated or divorced or not living together, Cato continued to live on the grounds of the house that Nicole was living in. So he was actually a witness in the murder trial. But everyone that was is... like, what What was this guy doing there? <laughs> Get your own house. That was another great Jackie's fact. Well, I mean, which implies that she's, uh, you know, kind of tuned into relatively current affairs. You know, she, <laughs> she knows what's going on in the world. Not in the Middle East, though. Not in the Middle East, no. Uh, <laughs> or in Bosnia. So Cher and Dion get to school and we meet um, Murray for the first time, played by the fantastic Donald Faison. Here's mm-hmm. a weird anecdote for you. I have met okay. uh, Donald Faison's mother. <laughs> Shirley <What>? Faison. <laughs> How did you meet her? Isn't that random? She is a talent, cool she's a talent agent in New York and I did a workshop that she ran. Oh, random oh. stuff. So yes, we get introduced to the lovely Donald mm-hmm. and we get the dynamic between him and Dion, which Cher referred to as a sort of Icantina kind of thing. <sighs> and I, I just, I, I'm sure you saw from my notes, it just didn't sit right with me. There's something about like this stereotype of the drama-filled relationship and the Icantina reference and placing that on the only two black characters in the movie just feels like, I don't know, yeah. I don't... <laughs> Yeah, it's not aged well. And also like the undercurrent of 
domestic violence. It's not like Ike and Tina just argued a lot. Like he was incredibly abusive in every conceivable way. Yeah. And I don't think that needs to be put on the shoulders of Murray. Now, or- technically, chronologically, we arrive in uh, debate class with Mr. Hall and get the speech, the famous okay. patient speech. But we have technically covered that. So the, what sets the ball rolling with, actually, the whole arc of the film is that Cher then gets her report card where her grades are not what she thinks she deserves for at least three of her classes. Mm-hmm. So Cher's trying to change her PE grade, her world history grade, and her debate grade. She manages to bring Miss Stoger around and Miss Geist and Mr. Hall are the other two grades that she needs to change. So she kind of kills two birds with one stone by deciding that, of course, they're being harsh graders because they're bitter and alone and old. <laughs> yeah. um, so she, set, she sets them up. And actually the way that she sets them up is quite sweet. And they do both seem like very sweet people. So I'm glad that they have each other. Yes. What does Cher does attempt to talk Mr. Hall round before the full plan comes into effect, doesn't she? Because he basically pushes her out of the class and closes the door. Am I making? Oh, that's right. And she's like, I need to pull out the big guns here. Like that's when a a more more detailed plan has to form because that didn't work. Her usual tactic didn't work. Yeah. Because on her report card, the comment is something that she's like unprepared and Mm -hmm. which she is. Yeah. (laughs) Her grade is fair. She deserved a C plus. Absolutely. We are digressing as usual. We are. So we, as at this sort of point where we are in the movie, we get the introduction of her mother because she comes back to the house. <laughs> the columns date all the way back to 1972. And mm-hmm. she comes home and there's a big painting of her mother hanging in the hallway. Um, and yeah, we get the fluke accident during routine liposuction, which is really yeah. mental. And I think... This is where we meet Josh. Yes, we've talked about him so much. that talked about him so much. Paul Rudd never fails to take my breath away. A very handsome man. He's an extremely handsome man. And then, yeah, they go and bicker each other. What happens here, which contributes to my general feelings of discomfort about Mm -hmm. how their relationship arcs, Mm -hmm. is is very sibling-y. It's a very sibling-y dynamic, apart from the tactileness, which, again, this is, I don't know. There's something about this that just feels weird to me. They're tactile with each other in a flirty way, but they bicker like siblings, and it's... Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's weird. It's weird. <laughs> I don't, I don't mind the bickering too much. The, the fact that they're not blood related kind of just makes that okay for me. Yeah. Um, and also there is a fact here that is relevant. Learn something brilliant with Jackie's facts. Which is that Amy Heckerling's grandparents were stepbrother and stepsister. No. This is, I'm going to get real academic here. And because I, as I'm sure you'll see from my notes, because I was trying to work out what the age difference between... The age difference I have an issue with. Yes. And again, we'll come on to that, I think. Um, But I was using the age difference to work out how long potentially Josh and Cher have been in in each other's lives. Mm -hmm. And because also, like, at some point, Cher refers to him moving back in for the summer and having his old room. Cher would have been quite young, maybe like nine or ten I think I think ten when the parents divorced because she said it was five years ago and she is 15 right so ten when they were divorced 
But she also says to her dad that you were hardly married to his mother, which implies that they weren't married for that long. Yeah, so I was looking for these clues in the script to try and tell me how long they'd known each other for the sibling dynamic to be established because there's a a psychological um, hypothesis called the Westermark effect, which Mm -hmm. is also known as reverse sexual imprinting. And it's about the idea that people who live in close domestic proximity during the first few years of their lives become desensitized to sexual attraction. It's basically why you're not attracted to your sibling. Mm-hmm. And it applies to people who are not blood related as well. So, for example, if you grew up with someone who, like this dynamic, married into the family and you're not technically related by blood, but you grew up with them as your sibling, the Westermark effect like imprints in that context as well. So that's why mm-hmm. I was sort of kind of going, I need to do the math here to figure out if I'm really comfortable with this because yeah. it just doesn't, because I feel like it can't have. It, 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 I, or at least I hope it was one of those things where they were not young siblings long enough for that to take hold. Like, I feel like that line, you were not married to them very long, is there for a number of reasons. It's there to tell yeah. us that this dynamic... You weren't living as brother and sister. You weren't living for, as brother and sister. For long. Yeah. And I guess, like, I think the age difference between them now is, is a bit too big. It is way too big because he's in college. So, like, what, he's 19 at most? Or I had him, like, generously, he's 18. Yeah. And she's 15 because she says to Ty, uh, she says, Ty, how old are you? And she says, I'll be 16 in May. And yes. Cher says, my birthday's in April. Let me give you some advice to somebody who's older. Which I still, I have a friend called Andrew and I am eight days older than him. And I say this to him all the time. <laughs> so I'm like, well, I'm older. So let me give you some advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the grand scheme of things of, of weirdness and where Josh and mm-hmm. Cher are concerned, that is definitely more concerning than the Westermark effect thing because actually I was doing enough digging in, in terms of script clues to sort of eventually arrive at, I think it's fine. It still mm-hmm. kind of creeps me out a little, but it's fine. But yes, the age difference, an 18-year-old, potentially even 19-year-old, because we're not really that mm-hmm. sure, going out with a 15-year-old is... There are some age gaps that are just dodge, like real yeah. dodge. I think in my head, I think I had her as like a late 16 or 17. Not that that would make a huge difference. But for, well, for instance, like one of my really good friends is married to like her husband, who's lovely and always has been. There's a two year age gap between them. And I'm sure they started going out when they were 16 and 18. And that didn't seem problematic at the time. But then 15, I don't know, there's just a difference there's between f- 15 and 16 that's quite pronounced. I really Not agree. Not mention the age of, well, it's the age of legal consent here. It's not the age of legal consent in America. One of the things that I think maybe just mitigates this slightly as a necessity of shoehorning the plot of Emma yeah. into this is that in, because I haven't read it and I haven't seen it for a long time, I think I saw the Gwyneth Paltrow version when it came out the year after, and I didn't really pay attention to it because somebody told me it was like clueless and it wasn't, <laughs> um, like, at all. Where are the parties? But the character that Josh is based on is Mr Knightley, who is Emma's brother-in-law, um, and his right. younger brother is married to her much older sister. So in the novel, he's 17 years older than she is Mm -hmm. and kind of given to being around the family a lot in the way that like everybody would just summer together in these manners or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So they they obviously had to give Josh a reason to be in her house and be around where she wasn't choosing to hang out with him. But also Mr. Knightley had like would disapprove of things that Emma would do and think she was a bit silly and he was always right and she was generally wrong. So there had to be some kind of dynamic that made that true for this yeah. to all work. Yeah. And the other part of the film where you see this, where you're just like, that makes no sense. 
is when Elton, there's that whole thing where Elton has the picture of Ty in his locker. <laughs> and then when he comes on to share it, she's like, you had that picture of her in her locker. And he says, I had the picture you took in my locker. It's like, who fucking does that? Nobody. Yeah. <laughs> that's not that's not a thing that we do. But in, in Emma, it's Mr. Elton has got the picture that Emma painted framed, which would be a romantic thing to do. Yeah. He painted a picture of literally anything and somebody goes and has it framed mm-hmm. to give to you. Like that is, that is different. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, that's, that's, I think there's two things in it. There's like, I think they just weren't really quite sure how to get in. And mm-hmm. brother in law would maybe make it a bit too, well, that would really make him too old. Yeah. It absolutely occurred to me in the mulling over of this that I was doing that this is to correspond with the Jane Austen mm. novel. But yeah. Uh, but we still need to note it. We have to note still, it. Yeah. Another thing I don't really believe is that um, Josh listens to Kenny G. Just thought throw that in no, there. No, I don't believe he does I don't either. Believe that. No, Radiohead tracks. Yeah. I think he. I think maybe like a bit of. I guarantee he owns Jagged Little Pill. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And probably, I bet he had a Britpop phase. In a way that, like, he was into it before it kind of moved over across the pond. Yeah. So, like, he was telling people about Blur. I mean, I, I just needed to say it. I just needed to get it out of the way that so that we can continue on the um, arc and we can be happy when they get together at the end and just state it now and get it done. Spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> but we, we don't 100% support this union. But yeah, it's a little it's weird. Fair. It's yeah. a little bit weird, but we don't think anybody should go to prison. No. I, I mean, I, I do really like the character of Josh enough to wish that he wasn't just totally fine with being attracted to and then going out with a 15-year-old. Anywho. And then the kids get shouted in by Mel to go for dinner. Yeah, Mel calls them chuckleheads, which is really makes me laugh. And um, yeah, then we kick into the montage of, um, of, of Cher's greed negotiations. Which are successful. And the main thing she does is set up Miss Geist and Mr. Hall. So she gets them just... You see them teaching their classes and they're just obviously enjoying things a lot more. Miss Geist writes under homework, have fun. Yeah. It's nice to see them just both looking really happy and it's lovely. And she gets three grades changed to A's. She sure does. Um, And she takes it to her dad. I just had a quick look at her report card just because it's the stupid shit I do. And uh, most of them are pretty normal, but I did notice her only non-A that she didn't contest was for biology. Bio 1, which was a B- minus, and the comment is wouldn't dissect a frog, which I feel is very on brand. And I'm sure it came with a fantastic speech that I, I wish we could see. Yeah. Um, she had an A for geometry already that she didn't have to argue, but the comment is, like, so everybody else has, like, contributes well in class, unprepared for her debates, like really classic things that teachers would actually say. And her, her geometry A, the comment next to it is just nice, shapes <laughs> which made me feel like amy heckerling was like or like a prop guy was like writing out the, yeah. the report card being like how do you be good at geometry do you just yeah just have nice shapes <laughs> that's great so that's cute it's super um, cute mel's very proud of her which is sweet because we both love a, a proud yeah. dad daughter moment don't yeah. we yeah we're very for it bit of a sucker yeah um so yes ty arrives the principal brings her over amber does say she could be a farmer in those clothes which is oh that is mean that is mean and then yeah we get this like moment from Cher where she sees her mission before her to improve this poor helpless girl which is the callback to her conversation that she has with josh in the car where he's helping her drive 
which he's terrible at and he says something about how is or he's in some sort of like environmental demonstration group mm-hmm. and they're trying to get Marky Mark to come and plant a tree that's right yeah and shares whistles like why would he do that like wh- why would it be worth his while doing that and he says maybe Marky Mark wants to use his popularity for a good cause which and then in this scene she says oh we should help Ty and Dion is like why would we do that and she says would do you not want to use your popularity for a good cause I thought it was quite understated because I, I didn't notice it until I watched it the other night and um, but you start to see Josh's do-gooderism kind of yeah. infiltrating she cares what he thinks of her yes that's a very very good point yeah his influence and is also, becoming yeah. more apparent and also she's a bit power mad after her success with Mr Hall and Miss Geist indeed Yes, because there's the scene before when we over the lightning seeds, another banger of a track from the 90s, where she gets like, she walks out into the courtyard and is applauded by everybody and like all of her classmates for her work. On the, oh, the everyone's teachers. kind of benefiting from everyone's it. Everyone's benefiting from it, yeah. <laughs> I also noticed in that scene, like everyone is like really rapturously applauding apart from Amber, who's giving her like an eye roll and a slow clap. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so and also she's wearing one of my favourite coats that she has, the black and red plaid coat, which I adore. Oh, that, yeah, that's um, good that scene. Sorry, just needed to just needed to call back to that. Yes, so Ty arrives and she's adorable. It's Brittany Murphy being just the cutest. The problem I have with it as well, like she seems so like again, clueless. She's referred to as clueless, but mm-hmm. she's got this accent that suggests she's from New York or maybe New Jersey. But I sort of feel like if she was from New Jersey, she'd be a little more street smart. She'd be a little bit edgier. Yeah, I think that's a class thing though. I think because like she's she obviously is street smart because She's dated before. Oh, yes, that's right. She's not a virgin. We know that she smokes pot Mm -hmm. and she likes to party, but she is out of her element with, I think it's the rich kids. Yeah, it's the fish out of water thing, isn't it? Yeah, she gravitates towards Travis for a reason. And it's not just because they're both stoners. It's because he's probably more like the people that she went to school with back in New York. Yes, yeah, because she says, um, when Cher asks her, how do you like California? She says, man, I'm freaking, I could really use some sort of herbal refreshment. Yeah. (laughs) And then they say, oh, we don't have, they don't get it. Yeah, they don't get it. Oh, we don't have tea here, but we have Coke in the cafeteria. And she's like, oh my God, you guys got Coke? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then, yeah, the response is like, yeah, this is America. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, Ty is welcomed into the bosom of the popular girls. And um, she gets the, the, the overview of the cliques at the high school so there's the tv kids and the persian mafia which is really yeah yeah (laughs) really weird i didn't know what to make of that there is a there was an actual thing of iranian gangsters in los angeles like there was an iranian mafia and a famous iranian uh like kingpin kingpin of an organized crime family that, right, okay. That must be what it, that must be a, a reference to a moment in time in Los Angeles where that was a thing. Okay. So there we go. There um, we go. Good fact. Yeah, and there's an article here: thirteen passing references to Persians that you would only notice if you're Persian, and the clueless thing comes into that. And it was yeah, it's got something to do with twenty five percent of homes in Beverly Hills are presently owned by Iranian Americans, and oh. the last mayor of the city was Iranian born, and that's the whole thing. That's why it was in there. Okay. There we go. Very interesting. So the, the cliques get pointed out, including Elton specifically on his own. Like, here's here's some cliques yeah. and here's Elton. And the most popular boys in school include Elton and Dion's boyfriend, Murray. And mm-hmm. then Ty receives the instruction that if you're going to date a high school boy, then these are the ones are, that are acceptable. 
which you mentioned yeah. earlier and um Ty asks which one is your boyfriend and Cher's like absolutely not none of them yeah because <laughs> she's got yeah. attitude about high school boys she does good for her you know, this is the moment because Murray comes over yeah. to borrow five dollars from Dion and he calls her woman again and Murray says okay but street slang is an increasingly valid form of expression most of the feminine pronouns do have mocking but not necessarily in a misogynistic undertone and then he looks really pleased with himself really pleased with himself and, like runs away and then Dion also looks back and she's just delighted yeah yeah and this is the first time I started to feel like Murray was a bit of a, a better drawn character than Dion yeah um, I think so because think she she doesn't get really fun interesting moments like that or not many of no. them anyway it happens again later when Murray is the one that has to tell them that Christian's gay and he yeah. is also uh when he's he's the one sort of helping Dion drive and get off the freeway and like there's just there's just he's just got more stuff to do that rounds him out as a character he's just a bit more switched on is he is he maybe a grade or two above them I did wonder I wondered that. that if he can already drive and maybe he's just a bit more yeah the boys do feel like they might be older because Elton talking about you know like saying things like do you know who my father is you know his thinking about what kind of girlfriend makes sense for the type of person he is that feels like a slightly older mentality it's a shit mentality but it feels like why if he was younger or the same age as them I don't know if he'd be worrying about that quite as much I don't know feels like they might be older maybe but I don't know because I think Cher and Dion are clearly worrying about that to an extent because they're telling Ty who she can and can't go out with and then Ty meets Travis and it's a lovely scene because there isn't a huge amount of being super problematic in this film from a misogynistic point of view. Really. No. But Travis is the best at expressing his feelings and being nice to girls with no expectation of sex. Like he just thinks, he obviously thinks Ty's really pretty when he meets her, but mostly he just thinks it's really cool that she can draw Marvin Martian. Yeah, that's really and cute. It's just a cute scene. It's just like they're cute together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and um, he immediately gets immediately dismissed by Sharon Dion but like absolutely not that's not acceptable it's more yeah. and it's like it's more important to be popular than to spend time with somebody who is nice to you yeah it's also that scene between Travis and Ty in the lunch line with the Marvin the Martian mm-hmm. is the only little bit really that we get of Ty's personality and what she's into before the, the great makeover mm-hmm. begins so, we, you know, that tells us that she draws and that she's an artist, but that's really all we get because then she as a as a person becomes sidelined in favour of this arc that we need to go on with her that is really actually about Cher. So it is the only moment where we get a little bit of personality or insight into her oh, personality yeah, she, and interests. Yeah, then she gets mean girls. Yeah, she, get mean, she gets mean girls. And uh, which is a real shame. I've got a wee bit that I missed. There's definitely a point when they're at the house and she's having a conversation with Josh. And I just noticed he's making a sandwich and he puts the bread down, then he puts the meat on the sandwich and then he spreads mayonnaise on the meat. That's... Not on the bread. It's real chaotic. That's that's <laughs> psychopath behaviour. Yeah, that's a, that's a real chaotic move, Josh. <laughs> no, I don't... That's the behaviour of someone who's read Nietzsche lately. Yes. <laughs> Which he has. I did like noting when, when a character's reading a book, yeah. what they are reading and what that tells us about them, because there's a point later when Christian's reading uh, William Burroughs, which is a little, like nod to his sexuality and the reveal of that he was also a beat writer in the 50s which tracks yeah totally tracks yeah because William Burroughs was a a heroin addict Junkie was about his drug use but there's also stuff in there where I can't remember if William Burroughs was like openly gay but there was a lot of discussion around his sexuality and 
references to his homosexuality was like edited out of a lot of things that he had published in his uh, lifetime and then re-editions later on re- like put them back in basically mm-hmm. that makes sense so yeah the fact that christian is reading william burroughs i don't know what yeah. him reading junkie in particular is about maybe it's because that that one is a sort of semi-confessional book that he wrote it was based on his life so maybe that's why it's junky and he is also basing himself on like a 50s like, yeah cool kid yeah so yeah he's got that kind of element and also there is a point when they're at the party where he has a huge amount of energy he does yes that's he's right very animated mm-hmm. when everyone else is very tired yeah and isn't he like he's the last one standing as well yeah he's like it. still dancing he's still dancing quite hard when nobody else is dancing yeah and he's off to an after party with some kind of roadie looking guys like the djs yeah. or something like that yeah yeah you might be right that's well observed also there's Something mentioned about his splitting his time, like he's mentioned at the very top of the movie, and for some reason it's Cher that knows this, that he's going to be spending half his his semester in Chicago, I think, and then the other half. Yeah, because his parents are divorced. Yeah, so I don't really know what that what we're supposed to infer from that. Anyway, it's just a plot device so he can show up halfway through. Show up halfway through. (laughs) (laughs) And also, he'll be based on. Ewan McGregor from Emma. I can't remember what character he plays. Oh, right. <laughs> so he was played by Ewan McGregor. I was so confused there. But in the uh, in Emma, the Christian equivalent isn't gay. He is engaged. Ah, uh, right. Of course. But he turns up halfway through. That although that explains that. And we also get uh, some more drug shaming stuff. Although actually, I don't know if it's drug shaming. Like Cher and her all her wisdom with her um, her birthday being in April, being older, gives yeah. her the advice that it's all it's one thing to spark up a doobie at a party, but it's quite another to be fried all day, which is a valid point actually. Mm-hmm. To be fair, they call them loadies, the stoners. I was trying to figure out what what they were saying. Is it loadies? Loadies, yeah. So presumably that's L. yeah, in being reference to getting loaded. loaded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, sometimes they come to class and say bonehead things and we all laugh, of course, but no respectable girl actually dates them. So there we go. And then we get makeover time. Yeah. And this is, I love this line so much. So Cher's main thrill in life is a makeover. This is from Dion. And she says, it gives her a sense of control in a world full of chaos. I absolutely love that <laughs> line. And I was, it got me wondering about what kind of things in life give me a sense of control in a world mm. full of chaos. And, uh, What'd you come up with? Probably, <laughs> probably. Um, I don't know. Actually, do you have any thoughts? Um, for me or for you, I have thoughts on both. All right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hit me with both. Okay, for you, I have noticed that you are a person who, when you require a sense of control in a world full of chaos, you are wont to dress up ah. and, do your, and do your hair and makeup and dress real nice and look real beautiful, even more beautiful than normal. <laughs> you flirt. Stop it. <laughs> I'll take it. That's maybe why I, I have impulse control where Add to Cart is concerned in this pandemic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's working for you. Oh, thank you. What about you? Um, mine are of late since pandemic exercise is definitely one. Mm. If things are getting a bit much, it's just like a magical mood fixer. Yeah. You know, like I might be shit at my job. I can do more burpees than I could this time last year. So that's nice. But actually speaking of my job, accountancy gives me a sense of control in the world of chaos because 
it's really a discipline all about balance. And I really like the fact that it is an area of life where it's okay that everything has a category that fits in quite strictly. And you literally balance the books. Everything goes in two columns. So if it goes in one column, it has to be taken away in another column. And once you've done it right, it's balanced and it's perfect. And it that's, makes you feel really good. If that's, that's beautiful. What gets, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yes, I, yeah. I can. I can totally see that. I really, a lot of the time, envy your creative job and your your life's work is cr- is creating. And I love doing that. And I love doing this with you for that reason. But there is also something so nice about doing something where there is just a right answer. No, you're one hundred percent right. Know? Because yeah, there's literally a career in the arts. You have zero control. You have no yeah. control over it whatsoever. Other than like making your own work, but then that obviously comes with its own challenges because, you know, mm-hmm. you can make something, but no one's necessarily going to be paying you for that. So, yeah, there's yeah. there's very little control. And it's funny you saying the thing about accountancy, because like when, when I'm producing a something like a piece of theatre or whatever, one of my most satisfying things to do, I, I always start with the budget, always start with the budget because it's the most soothing and satisfying part because it's the only bit that you can look at and like it actually makes sense because it's like working out this is what it costs and this is what we'll need to do to get that and yeah it's the only bit that you can actually like oh that makes me so happy (laughs) it's the only thing that yeah that that, um has structure and something that can like you can see it on the page finding the money is a whole other ball game but like making the budget well it's like but then it becomes a binary thing of like you have enough money or you don't have enough money yeah totally and there's just there's always a comfort in having some kind of certainty with things like that and I think as well the fact that you can have right answers with accounts and budgets Um, I mean it doesn't mean that there isn't any ever any room for ambiguity or argument because there absolutely is which is why there are accountants yeah Um, (laughs) thank goodness but um, <laughs> people can only tell you your shit to such an extent. You know, like you can be like, but this is this is correct. I audited it. Yeah. And <laughs> this was wrong. And then because I told you it was wrong, it's right now. Whereas I think in a creative industry, you are a lot more vulnerable to people's opinions. Oh, for sure. And, and that's why that I, can't I, be easy. No, I, I, I often say you have to have quite a lot of psychological stamina to yeah to pursue it for any length of time because it is it's built on rejection and the whims of things that you have no control over. So I, I relate hard relate to share now even more so after this conversation. <laughs> Yes. Oh, this is it. I like that segue. It's pretty good. So Ty says something just before we head into the, the makeover scene. Ty says, sure, why not? Shit, you guys, I have never had straight friends before. Yeah, that's a weird line. I assume what she means is straight as in straight edge, like as in don't take drugs or or, or like aren't stoners or something. Oh. That would track because it's just come off the don't smoke so much pot chat that they've had. Yeah. And also if all of her friends were gay, she definitely wouldn't have thought Christian was straight. Yeah. because and, and also if, it's, if she's referring to gay or straight, it, it kind of comes out of nowhere in a really weird way. <laughs> So I'm not. Sh- I'm still not sure, but my my instinct tells me she must be referring to being straight, uh, straight down be. the line, as in like not into drugs and stuff. Um, it must be because yeah, it's so random. Uh, it just makes me really like where 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 are you? Yeah, well, where have you come from? What is what has happened to you? Like what's what, going what on? What is your school like? Yeah. <laughs> so we get this makeover at Cher's house, uh, overscored by supermodel. 
that, that yeah. absolute banger it's a montage of, of it's her, a montage of good. made over and for some reason so I've re- I realized in the rewatch that my favorite outfit in this film is probably not like the best one but it's the one that they put tie in in her makeover like that like burgundy cord mini skirt and the little shirt with the heart on it yeah it's really cute that was my dream outfit yeah in, when I in 1995 and to this day and to this day yeah let's be honest it's, a great, it's just <laughs> lovely it's so cute it's, it's super cute. cute it's age appropriate and it's yeah and it complements her hair color and her general coloring yeah. and she just looks adorable yeah and then we get this she really feels un- adorable yeah she likes it she's really happy with the result but then we get this really ugh, awful scene with the buns of steel thing and oh yeah that's when josh spreads mayonnaise on his meat like a murderer yeah <laughs> And Ty quite rightly just puts her foot down and says, I don't want to do this anymore. And yeah. And then we get this like strange, well, it's not strange. I I don't, but it is sort of, it's there to tell us something because Cher says it's fine as long as you do it consistently or every day and not just sporadically referring to the workout. And Ty doesn't know what sporadically means. And she says, Cher says to her, we've got to work on your accent and vocabulary. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, that feels like an Austinism. That feels like another Austinism because it's obviously, the source material is obviously from a world where to be considered a proper lady, you had to be educated and pretty and yeah. groomed and entertaining and charming and uh, well-spoken and, and, and well-bred. Yeah. yeah. Don't sound poor is what mm. she's saying. Is what she's saying, yes. Which is, is, is I'm sure, what Emma Woodhouse was saying as well. Yeah. You're right. So You're this feels right. like an Austinism. Because also, as well, like this trope of the over-articulate teens from our 90s mm-hmm. content it doesn't really like the popular ones don't really get that like no. it's more it's more typical for the the popular ones to be airheaded like yeah you know very specific to the character this story and and the source material i feel and we're also getting the um you should be reading one book that's not been assigned to you from school but shares is cindy crawford's exercise book so my first book is fit or fat that's what it is i don't know if that's yeah there is quite a lot of disordered eating in this film yeah and references um, to disordered eating in this film but, yeah um it's not great don't don't do it try not um, to do it if you can help it you know, some people it's not a choice yeah, because there's a there's a line earlier on where she's like talking to shares talking to Dion about feeling like a total heifer, and she says yeah. that she's had five M and M's, like two pieces of turkey bacon. There's like yeah. just like and a piece of licorice. It's like she's really counted out absolutely every single thing she's eaten that day. Yeah. it's a thing, and it's definitely it can be a any person at any age thing, but there's a definite teenage element to it. Where and like and there was a, a real moment mid nineties to I would say early noughties of like that the heroin chic side. Yeah. zero yeah. bullshit that was just awful yeah. and so harmful and like has obviously continued to affect people to this day oh for sure yeah there's a the ripple effect of that is still being felt it's yeah it's very it's very toxic very insidious in it and it really does a number on your programming and in terms yeah. of how it's you very hard yourself. to unlearn that's like that's when you're oh, yeah. learning to be a, a, a woman mm-hmm. you know when you're in puberty and that's how you're being told to like I remember um I remember being in high school and there was a girl in my year who lost quite a lot of weight and it was that thing is like everyone was talking about how amazing she looked and someone was like what's your secret she's like oh, I just haven't eaten for two weeks and they're like oh right and then it becomes like a oh I wish I had your discipline as opposed to like yeah mate are you okay yeah it's really fucked um, up it's really fucked up and really sad i hope she's all right but that yeah it's disordered eating and there were there was a lot of that going about in the 90s where oh, yeah. it was bad news mm-hmm. and 
it was being seen as it was almost a status symbol to be talking about it so like you'd get praised for knowing exactly what you'd had and how many calories that was or yeah fussing about whether things were non-fat yeah and you just throughout the 90s and into the early 2000s and, and to some extent still now you do not see fat people in these movies unless they're there to be the butt of the joke and quite often they're not they're generally not women they'll be fat boys they'll be fat men who'll be there maybe and to be the butt of the joke like even even the unpopular kids most of the time will be pretty yeah, skinny I don't think there's any fat people in clueless are there no i mean there's no, the, like no. there is not many fat people across this sort of canon of type of work no yeah it's a thing it's a very systemic and fucked up thing and we just take it as, we, we just take that. it uh, uh fat. Oh, Cher's book is Cher's fat. <laughs> and then that is beautifully a, a, a beautiful palate cleanser from Ty because her book is Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Yeah. <laughs> oh, which is fantastic. And uh Cher's like, excellent, that takes care of our minds and bodies. Um, but now we should do something good for mankind or the planet for a couple of hours. Right. And then Josh enters and calls her Brainiac, and she says the dreaded X. Yeah, which if you didn't know, I was like, I wondered if maybe there was a, a deleted line or something in there where she was like, oh, he used to go out and he's, and she says, no, he is my ex-stepbrother or something. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm assuming she must mean my ex-brother or my yeah. ex-stepbrother, but yeah. it's weird. It's, it, it's, a, it's a clanger of a line. It's a bit, you trip over it. And she has this great line because they're talking about, Josh is saying, you found someone even more clueless, the name of the movie again than you are to worship you and she says I'm rescuing her from teenage hell do you know the wounds from adolescence can take years to heal Mm. (laughs) oh which just feels like that's just that's just like a direct line from the the writer like the adult writer (laughs) that's Amy yeah that's Amy right there um, so the next big beat is the party. I would like to give a shout out to girls doing choreography at parties. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> Cher has this like little like, we have to go dance and we have to do it in a very like performative way to be seen. And they yeah. have the little like, yeah. Just like put tie on display. It's, it's something we've all done. It's a thing and it's corny as all hell. It makes me cringe and makes me laugh. So shout out for girls doing choreography at parties. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and then, okay, so we get in the car with Elton. And, you know, this is another trope. Boys being predatory in cars. It's a disgustingly ubiquitous trope. And an entirely believable one because, you mm-hmm. know, putting a girl in a vulnerable position as the passenger in your car, it's the ultimate, like, caged animal type setup because the, yeah. that person is at the mercy of, of you, really. Um yeah. So, yeah, it's gross. Mm-hmm. This is where we figure out that Elton doesn't have any interest in Ty. He's actually interested in Cher, and it's because it would make total sense. And then he keeps trying to kiss her, and she keeps trying to push him off. And it's mm-hmm. it doesn't, it, fortunately, it doesn't get too, too bad, but it's bad enough because she gets out of the car, and then he drives away and leaves her in fucking whichever part of LA they're in the valley yeah and it's just awful the whole thing's awful yeah and she gets mugged mm-hmm. um and then she has to call Josh to come get her uh, uh, which she does which is nice of him I did think you know I was thinking about Josh's girlfriend who's in the car with him Heather mm-hmm. and just to like you know a little bit down the line after the credits have rolled 
what's Heather thinking about all this? I mean, Heather, I think... Heather's like, oh, that's his new girlfriend? Yeah, Heather's definitely having a conversation or two with her girlfriends over a margarita or five where she's explaining to them as they listen slack-jawed that he dumped her for a 15-year-old that used to be his sister. Yeah, and then as her friends, you'd be like, well, honey, yeah, you're better off. I think you're well, yeah, you're well shot of that, mate. Like, I feel like... Cause... And then she'd be like, I should have known when he put mayonnaise on his meat <laughs> the way he made his sandwiches was all wrong that was your red flag big red flag yeah absolutely then christian is the next big story beat because we get this the josh coming to the rescue and him sort of starting mm-hmm. to realize that he maybe sees share slightly differently so of course the next beat is to introduce christian as a potential love interest for share mm-hmm. and it's just very funny uh again there's a lot of austinisms i think in here the way that share kind of structures how she intends to get his attention by sending herself yeah. flowers and like anything that you can do to draw attention to your mouth is good oh my god sure <laughs> Oh, sure. And I just, I really like, you know, watching it, knowing that that character is gay. I really like how much she just takes to her right away. Mm -hmm. Like she stands up and she makes a speech about violence on TV. And he's just watching her just be like, yes, I like you. Yeah. And uh, Christian's a strange, strange cat to use his own lingo. (laughs) The way he interacts with uh, Mel when he comes to pick up Cher for their first date you drink question mark and Christian says no thanks I'm cool it's like yeah. her dad is not offering the teenager a drink yeah. but it's also interesting he's also just taking a swedger yeah he's totally got that energy about him because <laughs> he like comes flying through the door like uh, full of bravado and he's just like not talking to anybody in a normal way <laughs> <laughs> and I love Mel's line what's with you kid you think the death of Sammy Davis left an opening in the rat pack that line <laughs> is just brilliant and he calls Cher doll face and it's all just it's just hilarious so off we go to the party and Josh goes too under the um, guise of looking out for Cher on behalf of Mel but it is not quite that is not quite true and Mel knows that because mm-hmm. he, mm-hmm. gives, he gives that little little sweet smile yeah, he knows. Mel yeah. Mel knows. Yeah, and the party's kind of <laughs> kind of hilarious. Ty turns up dressed like a toddler. Um, she does. So strange. It's very strange. I feel like you've not really been paying that much attention to Cher. I feel like you've yeah. thrown Cher's advice straight out the window here. It's the equivalent of a mean girl's, like, we were, on Wednesdays, we were pink and Katie showing up in the in Damien's massive pink polo shirt. It's like, okay, you've answered the brief, but you've also <laughs> completely missed it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and the mighty mighty boss tones are playing at this party so that's yes that's a thing Um, i loved a boy when i was 14 who was really into the mighty mighty boss tones and he used to make me go to virgin megastore Mm -hmm. with him and look through all the cds to try and find the mighty mighty boss tones cd and we didn't find it because one time i found it and he wasn't there and i thought about buying it for him but it was too expensive it was like 10 pounds wow that is expensive I i don't have that kind of money no that's a, that's a very 90s little anecdote there. Yes. Thanks, Jackie. <laughs> it would have been exactly the year 2000. <laughs> Although I am sort of like questioning why you found it so difficult to find a Mighty Mighty Boston CD. I think they just weren't that big in Scotland. Yeah, that might be right. Yeah. They had the they had that one big song, the impression that I get. Mm-hmm. And I just don't, I think it was one of those ones that was a hit in America that wasn't really that big here. And Virgin Megastores was like very like, 
the chart music. The, it was like the rock chart, the pop chart, the dance chart. That's that's what you're getting. And then like maybe like the stuff that your mum or your dad would want. So if this was like 1995, so maybe their moment had passed slightly by that point. I don't know why this guy was so into them either. Didn't really ask. I just yeah. tried to impress him by trying to find the CD and he ended up going out with somebody else. <laughs> Surprisingly. Sad times. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah and Ty falls down the stairs which is Sorry, embarrassing that was, that was really apropos of nothing no <laughs> just moving us on moving us on uh yeah, yeah thank you yeah Ty falls down the stairs as she arrives at the party which is embarrassing it's excruciating yeah. I feel her pain yes I really relate to that moment yeah it's hard it's so clumsy it's, it's really tough and then yeah so another real fucking bit of savagery towards Amber because Amber's now dancing with Elton and Ty says not her fault not her not fault her, she's not friends with them no and she should also like you know sisterhood solidarity here guys you shouldn't be yeah, like, like that guy's a yeah you a, should be a baddie yeah should be warning amber that he's a predatory prick but instead we get she's a full-on monet which is like from far away it's okay but up close it's a big old mess like yeah so mean and christian says hags phil like it's just yeah it's just all awful it's it's very mean oh i don't miss being a teenager when i hear things like that no and then there's this weird moment where Christian needs to borrow money off of Cher to go buy beer. He wants a fin. He wants a fin, yeah, to go buy some Bruce. Five dollars. Yeah. yeah. I had to look it up. It was just German Yiddish for five. There we go. Yeah, so and he borrows money from her to then basically go chat up the bartender. It's basically mm-hmm. what happens. Josh has, has arrived, Cher spots him, and then Josh starts dancing with Ty so that she won't be on her own. Yeah. Um, which is cute. That's nice that he does that. Yeah. yeah. Then the next sort of big thing that happens, I think, is uh, the Cher and Ty are like exhausted and still there while Christian is still dancing because he's still fully Got high. A lot of energy for yeah. some reason. Yeah. <laughs> he's still fully high from all yeah. that MDMA he clearly took before he yeah. left the house. So Christian wants to go because apparently these guys have the skinny on the happening after hours. Yeah. So Josh says he'll take the girls home and that's what he does. And Christian goes mm-hmm. off to party with these men. Have a lovely time. Have a lovely time, yeah. The next scene is the is the scene on the couch, I think, with her and Josh and she's brushing her hair. Oh, yeah. And it's starting to get quite flirty. Yeah, I know that you mean. Mm-hmm. And um, we get a little bit more insight into why Josh prefers to be in the Horowitz household. Because mm-hmm. uh, after Gail, his mother phones, he mentions that husband number four is home and his whole idea of acting like a family is to criticise me. Which is, a, yeah. that's a very um, telling line that gives us a lot of information about why he feels more at home with Mel, who supports him and encourages him. Yeah, and then shares like saying, don't rattle around at the dorms, uh, stay here, have your old room. And he says something about, oh, I know you're going to be like, you don't want a brother type hanging around. Yeah, you've got your whole social she, world going on. I don't want to get yeah. in the way. But she says something in response to the, the brother type. She just says, you're not my brother. She says, you know what I mean. And, um, That's true. She talks him into it. And then we get that brilliant line of like, I can't believe I'm taking advice from someone who watches cartoons. And she says, that's Red and Stimpy. They're way existential. Yeah, which they are. <laughs> which, is, which they are. She's right. That is a thinking women's cartoon. Absolutely. And then the next big sort of thing that happens is this awful date. Yes, Tony Curtis films. The films in particular have a lot of um, 
sort of classic, much beloved homoerotic undertones and, and, and certain things that are, are quite like some like it hot is a huge, it's hugely popular. Yeah, it's the of, link, it's the link to drag. It's the link to drag. And then what's the other one? Spartacus, or she terms it sporadicus. <laughs> um, the scene they're watching is the one where Crassus, who's played by Laurence Olivier, is given, I guess, the slave of Antoninus, played by Tony Curtis, who's well-educated and can sing and things. Mm-hmm. And he takes him on as his body servant. Mm-hmm. And a few of the articles that I had a look at said that this was like basically like a sex slave. But when I looked into it, I don't actually think that was the case necessarily. I think it was more almost like your valet like your yeah. person who dresses you and washes you and stuff but the film was known to have a lot of homoerotic uh well not even subtext text text um, <laughs> yeah. so i had a little look and there's a particular scene that was cut from the 1960 version which was a scene in which antoninus is giving crassus a bath and they have a conversation initiated by crassus about whether antoninus eats oysters or snails or both it's basically it's it's a creepier version of the i like the wine not the label i was gonna say conversation in Shit's creek <laughs> Yeah, it sounds very reminiscent of something we've seen more recently yeah. in popular culture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is which is great, which is such a great scene. But it's a similar thing. It's and it's he starts talking to Antoninus about how he, he eats both snails and oysters, and it's a taste thing. Therefore, it's not a morality thing. Okay. Um, and then ultimately, Antoninus eats oysters exclusively when he has them. But that scene was deemed too overtly homoerotic by, I don't know, whatever that weird censorship body was at the time, like something, the National Something for American Decency or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it was cut, it was a four minute scene that was cut, um, that was put back in in the 1991 re release. Okay. So that would have been out maybe at the point when Christian was maybe starting to get into Tony Curtis and watching these films. So you can see that that might have come onto his radar. Yes. Which I thought was interesting. And then another little tidbit of it, which is very prominent in the facts about this film, is that the audio file for that bath scene had been lost. So Tony Curtis had to overdub his own lines, but Laurence Olivier had passed away. So the scene that you can find on YouTube and things, it's not Laurence Olivier, it's actually Anthony Hopkins doing a Laurence Olivier impression. Amazing. That's a great context for uh, Christian, um, who uh, I still maintain is a little strange, but he has good taste. (laughs) Tony Curtis also was a total Baldwin. Oh, he was. Um, this scene is oddly relatable to me. I don't know. Oh, what. really? Yeah, not in the sense that like I've ever tried it on with someone who was gay and I wasn't aware they were gay. More just the like, pay attention to me and it's just not happening. <laughs> and I end, right. up, I end up making quite the fool of myself. So that was um sort of... More the fool of Louise. Oh, <laughs> you're cute. Yeah. And it's funny how Christian just, it's like it suddenly twigs for him. Yeah. Like I get the sense from the way he reacts to Cher when, it, when the penny drops that she's coming on to him suggests that up until this point he thought they were they were pals she knew yeah uh uh-huh, like they were each other's accessories like you know in that way that it's like we've clicked yeah uh-huh like he digs her because i'm using you know his own his own lingo yeah because she is this sort of pretty perfect looks great on his arm 
kind of like his own little Marilyn Monroe almost. Well, yeah, um, and like she's sweet and she's good fun and yeah. she knows everyone. So like, and not to imply that he's using her at all, but like he just likes her. Like the bit when she stands up and she's talking about violence on the TV and like if we have to watch it in the news, why should we denied it for entertainment value? And he's given her this smile like, yeah, you're great. <laughs> I really like you. Yeah, I guess what I'm getting at is I'm not 100% sure I, I totally buy it, is what I'm getting at. Because I sort of feel like Christian, he can't be daft. Like, if he's in the closet, or is he in the closet? I don't actually know. Is he in the closet? I don't think he is supposed to be in the closet, because it seems like everyone knows but Sharon Dion. But Sharon Dion, yeah. Okay, so maybe and the is just the boys like... are all, he's gay. Yeah. And he says he has a thing for Tony Curtis, and... He leaves Cher at a party to go off with a bunch of guys. Yeah. So if he's in the closet, and I say this with complete lack of judgment, he's doing a terrible job. <laughs> yeah. And he seems in a he way kind of... that like teenage boys who are in the closet aren't having as nice of a time being in the closet. Yeah. As I think Christian is having. Yeah. He moves through the world with a very like clear sense of who he is, and he wears what he is into and his identity, his chosen like mm. thing, very confidently. And he's like, yeah, yeah, this is who I am. I'm, I'm, I'm into that whole sort of late forties, early fifties aesthetic. Yeah, he moves through the world with the confidence of someone who knows who he is and is happy with that, which is not really. If you're in the closet, those two things can't really hold true at the same time. You can't really hide a part of you who you are and move through the world with Christian confidence. Yeah. So yeah, it may. Yeah, I think you're right. I think he is not in the closet. So maybe, yeah, maybe that is it. Maybe he is. Because to him, he was like, he's never hidden that fact. So when it clocks or the penny drops that he's being hit on by Cher, it's like, oh, fuck, I need to get out of here. I thought you just were dressing sexy all the time because that's the way you dress. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were like me. You just dress the way you want to dress and that's that's yeah. part of who you are. Yeah, I love that. I love yeah. that about you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. because I think if he was in the closet, I think it would have been a bit more like, oh, no, I really want to do this, just not tonight because... I want it to yeah. be special or something. I think he would have, if he was in any way in the closet, I think he would have played along a bit more than he does. Whereas he kind of twigs it like, oh shit, I thought you knew. Is in my head yeah. what happened. And he leaves and he leaves in such a way that he doesn't want her to think it's her fault. Because he says, you know, you're great and we're friends, right? And gets her to give him a kiss in the cheek. Like, so it's not like a dumping. It's like, take a couple of days and think about what's happened here. Yeah, he removes himself from the situation in a way that feels more like it's like, I need to end this this moment that's happening now quickly, presumably to preserve, it's probably in part social awkwardness, but I hope also in part to preserve Cher's feelings a little bit as yeah. well. It's, he's a sweetie. Yeah, he is a sweetie. He's he's odd. I still think he's odd. <laughs> he is a sweetie. Oh, he's, he is odd. He's an oddball. He, we do like him. He's living on the edge a little bit too much, but we do like him. And then poor Cher has no idea what could possibly have gone wrong. And in the list of really plausible reasons uh, she comes up with, did my hair get flat or did I stumble into some bad lighting? <laughs> when, yeah. You know, that's it's awful when that happens. It is. I don't know if bad lighting existed for Alicia Silverstone in 1995. <laughs> if it did, then God help us all. Mm. Then we go into the scene where they're driving. Uh, she's with Dion and Murray and they're driving. Dion's driving specifically. And yeah, this scene stresses me out. As someone who does not drive, I'm confessing mm -hmm. to our little pool of listeners now I do not drive <laughs> I have tried I have attempted I have taken lessons I have done tests and failed them I am Dion in this scene I except it's not just the freeway it's just being on the road in general this is me like I just I find it so stressful so yeah when they go on the freeway uh, it just like it becomes a horror movie for me at that point <laughs> okay 
that's not really like that interesting but I had to share it uh no I like it and I also can see the dynamic with Chris being the Murray figure in this particular scene (laughs) I really relate to Dion it just it really stresses me out I know not in any other scene do they remind me of you and Chris (laughs) and I'll take that I think that's fair and accurate yeah and then Murray reveals to them what they could not see a little aggressively but I'm gonna let him away with it because I think he's really stressed because Dion's behind the wheel because he says you bitch is blind or something your man Christian is a cake boy which is there's a lot there's a lot going on in there Murray that's the whole I mean the whole speech is is, isn't you know you couldn't say that today and get away with it well I mean his follow-up line is a little it's it yeah I don't know it's full of stereotypes but it's not it doesn't hit me as something that's like aggressive like it's not like disco dancing Oscar Wilde reading Streisand ticket holding friend of Dorothy I don't know I think the way I kind of look at it is I take two things from it and this might be wrong this might be coming from a very white woman privilege that I have mm-hmm. um, but for being kind to Murray here and we take the fact that institutional racism and homophobia don't seem to exist in this world yeah and earlier Murray makes the remark when he calls Dion women that while it may imply some mocking it doesn't necessarily have misogynistic undertones Mm-hmm. If we apply that here, and he's not saying that it's bad to be gay, he's he thinks it's funny that they didn't know he was gay. Yes, uh huh. I think that's the context. So Christian isn't the butt of the joke. No, Christian, Christian's not the butt of the joke. They are. Yes, you're absolutely right. I also think it's quite specific that what he does is it's littered with it's littered with cliches, and it's the kind mm-hmm. of cliche that queer people, queer men, will use themselves. It's sort of like it kind of sits in that like we can say it. We maybe would prefer That's if you did thing. it, but we can. Yeah, say it. yeah. And it's also I'm always very aware when I'm deciding whether something's offensive is like well it's not about me. So yeah, 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 yeah. All with these sorts of things, it's all about context and the relationship that you might have with someone in which you are having that discourse uh cake boy i'd never heard cake boy before actually but apparently that isn't that comes from a a sir mix a lot song Hmm. from the 90s it's it's early 90s slang for what we would now call a metrosexual apparently okay so i had to look that up because i was like i don't think i've ever heard anyone say cake boy before and i'm not entirely sure what the reference is because i'm like no. cake boy is it like is it because lots of patisserie chefs tend to be gay i don't know so i had to look it up i'm sure if uh, sir mixalock said it it's completely fine i'm sure exactly <laughs> he, he's an academic and a scholar as we know yeah. if it's anything like the way he talks about women i'm sure it's completely fine <laughs> i'm sure it's completely fine so murray knows i also uh, another question um i'm wondering is christian in the gang I think he is. Is he in the gang of popular boys? Like, because I wondered if maybe like Murray knows because he's like he hangs out with Christian as well at school. Like he, I don't think he does because Murray didn't know that they were on a date. He doesn't know they were on a date till they're in the car, and he was like, "You're on a date." Like, however, Cher is telling the story. Yeah, except he was like sex with who? Yeah, and I feel like when they're at the big party, that's all of them. It feels like it's Cher, Ty, and Christian are in one bit, and like. Amber and Elton are in the other bit. Yeah. And you don't really ever see him hanging out with the boys. No, that's true. Later at school, he's like, he shops, he's shopping with the girls. Yeah, I was just wondering which, what... Which does track because a lot of... Well, I certainly know a, a couple of my friends who are gay men don't really have friendships with straight men. Yeah, I guess I was just wondering what clique he would fall into, but I suppose at school it would be with the girls. But if then, but then if Cher thought she was dating him for a hot second, then I, I don't know. Maybe he's an island. Maybe he just... 
doesn't belong to any clique. Might just want about kind of knowing everyone. Yeah. Knowing everyone a little bit. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And also, like, he likes to read, so I can also, I can just see him sitting on the grass, reading his book. Yeah. Looking cool. Mm-hmm. Going for lunchtime drives in his car. He's fine. Yeah, I think really he's probably got older friends as well. Like, I think he's got friends who are not in school. Like her college or whatever. He probably doesn't really, yeah. much like Cher, doesn't really truck with high school boys. Yeah, um, I think so. So we come off the freeway, thank God. And apparently Dion loses her virginity because she was only technically, mm. technically a virgin. Yeah. <laughs> Not right there and then, I should point out for anyone who's listening to us who hasn't seen this movie. That, that doesn't happen right there and then in the car after they get off the freeway. It's a piece of information we get in voiceover from Cher about uh, how getting off the freeway makes you realise how important love is. Yeah. Cher has her driving test. She fails because she's not really concentrating because she's sad that she seems to have lost her status a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and she goes home after failing her driving test and Ty is flirting with Josh. Um, I love Cher's driving uh, test outfit, by the way. I think mm-hmm. it's very Prince and the Revolution. There's something... Mm-hmm. If she could throw on a purple velour blazer over that, it would be very Prince. I'm digging it. It's ludicrous, but I love it. It's it's great. Ty's brought over a box of stuff to burn to get her over Elton. And uh, I suppose the most important bit of this scene is it's really not any of that, although it is quite funny, this kind of like this two-second relationship and Ty's managed to pull together like not it's not even a relationship it's like an interaction yeah. they had once somehow Ty's pulled together a box of stuff based off of that which is pretty impressive oh that's um, just such a high school thing as well <laughs> like when you like someone that you don't even really like but your friends are like oh you should like him and then you just start concocting all of these things in your head that are really meaningful that are absolutely meaningless yeah that's very it's very high school I relate very hard to that yeah so the key thing about this scene is the turnaround of Ty basically Cher being aware that she's created a monster yeah because Ty she behaves real shitty it's like it's not it's not great and she has that classic line Ty reveals to Cher that she likes Josh which is again feels very arbitrary on Ty's part not in terms of like like it tracks for Ty as a character yeah and the completely reasonable thing that if you go to your best friend's house and it turns out that their stepbrother is Paul Rudd (laughs) yes good point good advice. and he's quite nice to you yeah (laughs) like well (laughs) how about that but I, I mean I suppose for me it's like and again this this sort of plays into the um type of mean girl-esque full confidence that Cher has been the architect of within Ty because if I had a friend with an older brother who was Paul Rudd and who was nice to me I would just be a gibbering wreck around him I would never entertain the idea in real practical terms that he would ever be interested in dating me I would fantasize about it and write um angsty poetry but I would not like like I would justify how it was a forbidden love in my head yeah. But never speak its name. Never, like, never speak its like... name. <laughs> yeah. Never ever, especially not to your mate. Like yeah. I feel like you just also would not no. tell your mate that. Like I feel like you Part, could... yeah. And mostly because deep deep down, you know he doesn't like you. Yeah. And it's just nice to think maybe he does, but you just can't because yeah. he's noble. Yeah. And I think the closest you'd ever get to revealing it to your mate is if like I don't know, there was a context where you're hanging out with your mates and he comes in and she's like, get out of my room! Oh, he's so annoying. And you're like, he's okay. Like, that would be as close as it would get. (laughs) 
yeah. That's my little play. <laughs> and yes, so we get the line because, uh, you know, Cher is like subtly rejecting the idea that Ty should pursue Josh and mm-hmm. Ty hits her with... And it's like, why am I even listening to you to begin with? You're a virgin who can't drive. We've not I feel had like, the lines going. I think that is the line of the movie. That's the line of the movie. That I have a t-shirt that says that on it. <laughs> You're a virgin who can't drive. Well, it's half true. <laughs> it is half true. <laughs> it's a half truth. It's, it's a great iconic line. That shirt, I used to wear that shirt while bartending in New York and it was a, a big hit, that, that shirt. Everybody wanted to know where I got it because, you know, it's just one of those ones. It's one of those lines that people of a certain age, they know it instantly and it was like, that's a really yeah. funny shirt. I was very proud of that. Obviously made me feel very yeah. cool. <laughs> we, need to, we still need to get you a Don't Fuck With Mr. Zero t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I need a collection of shirts uh, with lines from uh, the, the iconic lines from the movies we discuss. Yes. Because I need that in place of a personality. So... <laughs> no, you don't. It's just nice to have cool shirts. Yeah, and it's way harsh. It's way harsh, Ty. It's way harsh. Way, way, way harsh. harsh. And then she does her little, she swans out, like, yeah. it's a real mean girl moment. So the way she looks at her, the way that Brittany Murphy delivers that look, that kind of up and down, I yeah. feel later, kind of, oh. It's very cold. It's super cold. And Cher, like, it's actually great acting in that scene from Melissa Silverstone because she does look like she's about to throw up or she cry. Yes. Like, it's a real kind of, like, gut punched. Yeah, what does she say? Feels the chunks starting to rise or something like that. She has to leave. Then there's like the scene where she basically leaves and she goes on her big like epiphany walk. But there was a bit where she walks down the stairs and I was watching her walk down being like, that is how I walk down steps when I'm in heels. And I'm not good at walking in heels. I just like looked up and like, was Alicia Silverstone bad at walking in heels? <laughs> and it turns out she was. She was a tomboy when she filmed this. And I saw an interview that they did with her on the set while they were filming, where she's like, I'm just not used to wearing all these clothes. And it was one of those things that's like interspersed between being on the set and then after she's seen the film. So like once they're filming, she's like, oh, now I get it because I look amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but normally I just exist every day in like jeans and a green t-shirt right watch the scene when she walks down the steps it's like somebody who is very afraid it's like she's kind of clumping down the steps and that is exactly how I walk down stairs in high heels which is why I recognised it. You can't kid a kidder. It does annoy me. She's walking through Bel Air and she has gone on her epiphany walk with no bag, no pockets as far as I can tell in her Prince and the Revolution outfit. And she just goes into the shop. And I'm like, what did you buy? Maybe she's got a credit card sewn into every skirt or something. But like, it just bugged me that she Maybe walked into just- Maybe they just know her so well that she has, like, store credit. You know what? That's probably exactly it. She's probably got an account with all of the shops in Beverly Hills. You used to be able to pay for things if you just know the credit card number because I'm sure there's a friend's storyline where Rachel gets cut off or, like, it was her sister Jill gets cut off. She's able to go shopping because she memorised all of Daddy's credit card numbers. So That's wild, isn't it? Do it (laughs) if you know the credit card number. It makes sense. I think that's what she did. Yeah. She has that sweet scene with Mel after she's had her epiphany that she loves Josh. Is there anything else you want to say about the epiphany? Is there anything before we... Actually, just um, it's a big moment in the movie, so I just wanted to double check. No. No, apparently, based on the film Gigi, um, she calls him a Baldwin, which for Generation Zers listening, a Baldwin in the 90s is like a Hemsworth now. Just like, yep. they're probably hot. Perfect way of putting it. Yep. However, Paul Rudd has aged better than all of the Baldwins in every way. We didn't know that that could happen at the time. Indeed. She has this great line where in her epiphany, she sort of says she doesn't know how to act around him. 
because her normal strategies would not work around Josh because she's not able to strut around in her cutest little outfits and send flowers to herself. So she has no idea what to do. We haven't seen that work on anyone in this film. I mean, I suppose it kind of worked on Christian, but it was entirely misinterpreted. <laughs> it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> he probably just went, well, this chick is fabulous. Like, the self-confidence. Look at her sending herself flowers. That yeah. is... He's like, that's so camp. I love it. (laughs) So she has this really sweet scene with Mel. He notices her pacing outside his office and he's like, get in here. I just think it's super cute and nice. It's really sweet because he's so busy, but he's never at any point in this film too busy for her. He is very buried under his work, but he finds a way to sort of integrate her Mm -hmm. into into his space while he works and gives her a little task to highlight the Mm -hmm. September 3rd conversation, which will come back to bite us in the ass. She feels wretched about a boy she likes and he is of the opinion that this boy is a complete moron if he's not interested in Cher. It's all very sweet. Mm-hmm. She starts the Pismo Beach collection with Miss yeah. Geist, so she decides to be more of a do-gooder. But I think I have a feeling she doesn't do it actually to impress shots. I have a feeling she does it to just make herself feel better, doesn't she? I feel like yeah. there isn't actually like a well she has a thing about all of you know she has things to learn from all of her friends like uh, Dion and Murray are actually really considerate of each other and Christian wants everything to be beautiful and interesting and Miss Geist is always trying to get them to help even though nobody ever does mm-hmm. and so she decides to just like start learning from the people around her yeah and be less clueless yeah <laughs> And it feels quite undemonstrative in the sense that it's inspired by sort of thinking about Josh and his do-gooder qualities. Mm-hmm. But when she gets into it, she really gets into it and it doesn't feel performative for Josh because it starts to feel like she's really involved in it. And Josh yeah. happens to see it in passing. The next big thing is um, the tie and share um, reconciliation scene. Oh, yeah. I'm not entirely sure what's brought Ty around. I feel like we jump. I think she's just been reminded how much she likes Travis. Yeah, I, I think, think she so. Felt, no, I think actually, and also fundamentally, we know from the start, Ty's sweet. She's yeah. a nice, sweet person. She was getting a lot of attention and it went to her head a bit, as it yeah. does. Yeah. That's very human, particularly when you're an adolescent. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of attention is everything. Uh, I mean, it shouldn't be, but it really can be. It got yes. ahead of her a little bit. She got she got a little bit big for her boots, as teenagers do, and she doesn't feel good about herself. And I think that's the thing that every time I'm like lying awake at four o'clock in the morning, remembering something horrible that I said to one of my best friends when I was fifteen. Yeah, I just have to. I wake up at eight o'clock eventually and remind myself everyone's a dick sometimes when they're fifteen, and sometimes you have to try being a dick to. Re- realize that you don't like yourself when you're like that and that's kind of why it's really important to experiment with things like that when you're younger because when you're doing that when you're in your 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s it gets less and less acceptable and less and less forgivable yeah so it's like okay she's not really been the popular pretty center of attention girl before maybe this is how she's seen people act I mean it kind of is it's how Amber was to her it's how Sharon Dion are to Amber mm-hmm. um, so she's tried it she's like oh I'm here this is what I do yeah and then she's gone away and be like oh I feel like shit for saying that to my friend yeah and I think also and that's I- nice I'm I'm interested to know when I hit my 40s if I will still have those moments because I know exactly what you're talking about that cold-blooded rush 
that keeps you awake at night is you remember something that you did or said or, or happened to you between mm-hmm. the ages of like 13 and 17 because those moments those years the things that happened to you in those years are so deep they scar so yeah. deep like that is like I want to know if those moments will still happen in the 40s and the 50s because and until I hit my 60s or like will they like I can't yeah or like <laughs> I did that I said that to Louise when I was 34 Oh my god. I mean, yeah, I'm not saying I have never done or said anything stupid in the intervening years between 17 and now. Obviously, I have, and I still do and say stupid things. I just sort of mean that it's easier to get over those because Mm -hmm. you can go, okay, well, that was dumb. And we're also much more capable of in the moment when we say something stupid as adults of going and texting that friend or phoning that friend and saying, hey, I'm really sorry. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I was dealing with my own shit or I was a bit drunk or whatever it was or yeah. and you can just do it. And I think yeah, and at this age we've all been on both sides of it enough times now to be like, Oh, she was a bit off tonight. I bet she's really stressed about X. She was talking about that. Yeah. She didn't mean it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like I'm being oversensitive about that because of this. Mm-hmm. Calm down. And it's the good thing about the friendships that we have. I think particularly in as we get to our thirties, I'm very lucky to have a lot of friends that I've known for a long time now, where mm-hmm. you've just got so much goodwill built up that it's okay not to be in your best form all the time. Whereas when you're 15, you don't really have that. But it's also just, you're so unformed and half-baked. Not even half-baked. You've not even gone in the oven yet. So that anything yeah. that happens in those years, it's just so huge. It impacts you in such a devastating way because you are just this tiny, like, little, like, a, like a, almost like a, like a baby turtle with no shell. Like, it's just, uh-huh. if anything, any impact is going to create a crater that stays. Once mm. the shell forms and you get your little turtle shell, I'm, I'm really stretching a weird metaphor here. And once you've got, going, your, I like it. <laughs> you've got your shell, but the crater's <laughs> there. So, like, yeah. every now and again, you will wake up in the middle of the night and the repercussions of that impact will like have a wee moment and you'll be like oh okay (laughs) yeah it's just like I remember actually having a really healing conversation with a group of us from my high school that were all still really close and like bridesmaids each other's weddings and everything and we had uh like a wine night we were talking about being teenagers and I have one particular really mean thing that I once said to one of my friends where I kind of referenced it, being like, oh, I remember I said that to you about your boyfriend, and it just it haunts me to this day that, she, that I said this. And she was like, what did you say? I was like, do you not remember? I think oh about it, like, at least once a week. <laughs> I think about the fact that I said this to you when we were, like, 17. And she's like, I'd, I don't know what you're talking about. I could be, a, I was a dick to you sometimes when we were 17. I think about that all the time. And then my, like, my other friend who is like bona fide, the nicest person to ever exist was like, no, I was the moody bitch. And then we basically were just like, right. So we are all obsessing about the things that we've said to each other. Nobody remembers anything that any of us said to them. So will we just agree right now that we were just teenagers and it's like, it's it doesn't matter. And if it, if we ever remember something mean that the other person said, we will just assume that they didn't mean it. And we just made that agreement and it was very healing. And I'm very glad we had that conversation. I am feeling the healing by proxy like yes that does sound incredibly healing you know sometimes I have these thoughts where I'm like I don't have many of them but I have a handful of people who are still in my life in some form who have known me my entire pretty much my entire life like as a teenager into adulthood 
And sometimes I go, I wish you weren't still around because I hate that you've known me that long. Like there's yeah. sometimes there's that. You like, know this. You know where the bodies are buried. You have seen me at my absolute darkest and worst. And those are like long dark nights of the soul where you're just like, I just wish there were, were not people who knew about that. <laughs> yeah so you know it's it sits in that like formative years pain so that conversation does sound very healing yeah but also with that like you kind of need the people who know where the bodies are buried because there is something really validating and affirming about having people who know the absolute worst about you who've seen you at your worst at your meanest at your like most pathetic like every single time that we think about that thing we've said or done that makes us just cringe and die inside the fact that there are people who know those things and love us yeah is a really important thing oh you're gonna make me cry (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's the unconditional love level of that isn't it yeah it's yeah you've seen it all and you still come back for more because yeah and it's like you know how bad that is so if it's worth sticking around then there must like the good bits must be better yeah well I I hope that's what I like to think anyway yeah that's really beautiful and I agree it is you look at those people and you go you love me for all my faults and failings and you have the personal history and it's that's important and it's in it's significant and it's really lovely I hope Cher and Ty this scene is the beginning of that journey for them yeah I hope so yeah because they they have a beautiful reunion it's one of the most age-appropriate things it's like you guys really do seem like children in this scene Mm -hmm. you seem like any set of girl best friends that you see yeah and then it's straight back to like we're best friends again and they they go straight back into sitting down and giggling about a boy and it's Travis so that just takes the conflict off the table anyway there's this really nice moment when you think about it coming full circle from where we started with Cher and Ty to now where Cher's like I had no idea he was so motivated and Ty said I did and I was like kind of like oh okay it's not up to me to decide to make you something that you're not or like force upon you she didn't know better yeah Mm mm-hmm And then, yeah, we're back in Cher's house with lawyer stuff. I'm going to say something that might be a little bit of a hot take. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying the lawyer is not a douchebag. However, I kind of think he has a point as he leaves and he's like, this is a big fucking case. I'm going to get in trouble with my boss. And he makes some comment about if you hadn't been playing footsie with the dumb kid, which is like, I don't know. Because she is a child. Because she is a child. So I don't know if because of my like slight judgment towards the age difference in the relationship put me on the side of douchebag lawyer guy. Because I was like, you know what? If I'm trying to get a bit of work done and you're playing fucking Pippi Longstocking flirty guy with the 15 year old who technically should not even be here helping out with this in the first place. Yeah, I don't know. There was just something in the structuring of the lines there that I was like, I'm kind of taking the side of the douchebag lawyer. I think his beef is really with Mel, though. Mm -hmm. It's not really reasonable to have children help you do your law and then be annoyed at them for being bad lawyers. (laughs) Yeah, no, totally. Like, again, I say this with the understanding that it is kind of a hot take because his beef is with Mel and it's not acceptable to speak to Cher that way, really. It's a bit of a bold move to speak to your boss's daughter like that as well yeah but yeah there is something about the way it's (laughs) 
I just I am a bit like fair enough if you're a bit stressed and I think he's he's rightfully frustrated and annoyed and I can understand you being annoyed at like an intern which is kind of stressed that Josh is I think he's doing work experience or something yeah so I I think fair enough be annoyed at Josh but like it's really inappropriate to have a 15 year old help you with a legal case like surely there's some sort of like confidentiality issue like they're opening themselves up to malpractice lawsuits yeah there's child labor laws to consider (laughs) statutory rape statutory rape yeah I was just like because I would be like if I were douchebag lawyer guy I would be like are you serious dude like you're flirting with Mel's daughter she is 50 like and you want to be a lawyer yeah like stop it yeah this is one of them yeah I am leaving now and I am (laughs) I am annoyed and I yeah yeah, so I kind of feel for douchebag lawyer guy. Uh, I do not excuse him saying I'm going to get killed because she's a moron. That's not okay. Your beef is with Mel though, Mr. Lawyer Guy. Uh, so yeah, I just needed to get that off my chest. Josh is like, look, we've been working our butts off on this case. And the lawyer guy says, tell you what, you do whatever you want with your butts. I'm calling in sick. <laughs> I felt that. I really felt yeah. that. So then we get the, the scene on the top of the stairs where uh, Josh and Cher realise their feelings for each other. And it's cute. (sighs) It is cute. It does make you root for them. We have discussed what we think about it. We have discussed. It's not... I I mitigate it with the fact that I understand how the novel Emma necessitated there being an age gap. I don't really know why he couldn't have just been a senior in high school. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be a senior in their high school. Yeah. It's fine for high school people to be doing work experience at the law firm, apparently. So yeah, just do that. Just don't have them be an adult. We had the opportunity to ask Instagram what they thought, and they agreed with us. I did see that, yes. 78%, 22% thought that it was more on the icky side than not. Yeah, for me, it's more and more the age difference for me now, because... Yeah. Yeah, we discussed it. We discussed the brother-sister thing mm-hmm. and the the reality of their situation being that, yeah, they just probably weren't around each other long enough for that real sibling bond to really take hold. Mm-hmm. So it's the age difference. It is, is icky. And this scene, it's tempered in its ickiness by how well Paul Rudd delivers it. Like, Paul Rudd delivers this scene really well and his little, like, hmm, huh, huh, and you know you're gorgeous, okay, and and all of this. I think the, the fact that between the two of them, Cher has the power. She really likes him, but I think he likes her more. And she likes him as well, but she doesn't realise he knows he likes her. Yeah. And the way he behaves actually isn't predatory. He's not yeah. in any way, like, grooming or yeah. nothing about that scene is coerced or seems like she's uncomfortable. They seem like they're more, like, their friendship grows through the film. So I think there, they, there are definitely things in there that make you root for them yeah and I think it's just unfortunate that the actual age difference is it's just that year I think as well between when you're 15 it's just she's clueless yeah she's really naive and I think it's also like it's the tone that each of them is setting Paul Rudd seems to have hit it exactly right I think for me he's playing it in a very very tempered very unsleazy very nervous kind of way but the problem then becomes I think Alicia Silverstone is doing a slightly more girly thing there's like a sort of you think yeah. I'm beautiful there's like a very almost little girl infantilization twirling of the hair yeah. thing that she does that suddenly makes her seem even younger and I'm like oh yeah. 
Whereas if she'd gone for more confident share, debate class share, a little bit of that energy, maybe it would have just tipped the scale ever so slightly so that she didn't make herself seem even younger. So yeah. for, for that reason, I can't quite get fully behind the, oh, you know, like yeah. I'm so happy to see them kiss when I'm just like, okay, well. Yeah. Alicia Silverstone was 18 when she played this character. So Alicia Silverstone, when she was 15, probably looked a lot more like a little girl than Cher Horowitz does. But just because somebody looks older doesn't mean they are older. It doesn't mean that they are, you know, there is a reason why capacity to consent is what it is. It's quite a common thing when you see teen dramas to this day and it's a bunch of 16-year-olds being played by people in their mid to late 20s. Yeah, because Paul Rudd's 26 when he made this movie. So there is also that. And there's just a big difference. And I think our points, I think our points have been made. Yeah, it has indeed. So nobody needs to be cancelled about it. No, no, God, no, 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 especially not Paul Rudd. Like, no. And, and not Amy Herkeling as well. She was shoehorning no, 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 no. an Austin novel into a teen movie and they played it well and it's not a documentary. No, and it, but coming back to our uh, justification for ruining things that people enjoy, it is always important to state these things as an observation of learning through the new lens that we have because if you did this today, I'd have more of a problem with it. Yeah. You know, I don't want to, to further articulate that because we have really hammered this home. I think people get it, yeah, get and get where we stand <laughs> on it. But yeah, if this was made today, I'd be like, you need to, you need to rework the aging. Like, yeah, just put him in a different grade. Yeah, he can still be like smarter than her, and, or like more clued up. Yeah, That's absolutely. Fine. And let's also cast actors who are in the same age bracket if you're going to have them play romantic leads opposite one another i i don't want to see a 36 year old kissing an 18 year old or 26 year old kissing an 18 year old let's not do that okay so (laughs) agreed wonderful Great. great And then we get the uh, well. You can guess what happened next, and the the uh, the bluff of the bluff uh, wedding. The bluff wedding, yeah. Um, which is nice. Which is nice, although she does say, "As if I'm only 16." She says she's 16, mm-hmm. so presumably time has passed, and she's had a birthday. Yeah, her birthday was in April. Uh, she has the audacity to say this is California, not Kentucky. Um, we get this lovely wedding. Miss Geist is married. Uh, Mr. Hall. Yeah, that's kind of it. There's the tossing of the bouquet. Fun fact, Amy Herkeling is at the wedding. Amy Herkeling is a bridesmaid for Miss Geist. And oh, I read that. She's in the she's in the scrum for the bouquet, allegedly causing the most chaos and fo- causing everybody to fall down, <laughs> which is great. The girls are talking about when they're getting married and it's a whole thing. And that's it. Close and a kiss. Any thoughts about that? Any thoughts about the wedding? <laughs> none. Absolutely none. Do we think it's a little weird that Miss Geist has Alicia in the wedding party? Or share rather, not Alicia. <laughs> about um, odd? Maybe they become really close over the Pismo Beach disaster. Yeah, yeah. And maybe at this point, Miss Geist and Miss, Mr. Hall have like pieced together. Like I like I would like to see the deleted scene of their conversation where he says, you know, I kind of knew you liked me because Cher Horowitz said um, <laughs> that yeah. you were the only person I was the only person at the high school with any whatever. And Miss Geist will be like, oh, but remember that romantic poem you put in my cubby? And he'll be like, I don't put anything in your cubby. And then they'll <laughs> gradually piece it together. It's like, wasn't it that Horowitz girl wanted us to change your grades? What did you give her? I gave her a C plus. Oh, you gave her a B? Okay, that's that's what's happened. So in that deleted scene that you have just written, they've worked out that Cher is responsible for bringing them together. And as a yeah. result has earned herself a spot in the wedding party. Yeah, they'd be mad if it hadn't worked out. They also know that she'll spring for one of the more pricey things in the registry, I think. (laughs) That (laughs) tracks. And uh, yeah. That was clueless. That was clueless. 
enjoyed it. Got a little bogged down in Josh and Cher and the dynamic there, but that's okay. I fully expected that to happen. If our Instagram pulls anything to go by, we're very much preaching to the choir. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, next next up uh, will be First Wives Club. What's a good 90s Beverly Hills bit of lingo to sign off? We're outie. <laughs> That was I'll Have What She's Podcasting. Thanks to Chris Gorman for the edit and the sound design. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at She's Podcasting. If you liked this, you might also enjoy our sister podcast, Persistent and Nasty, which is all about amplifying marginalised voices in film and theatre. Thanks for listening and see you next time.